we can all say, oh no, it's too much competition. There's no room for me today. But we don't know what storms will come. If you get your foot in the door, like I did with Demo Diva, I got my foot in the door and I kept going. But I wish I'd maybe even kept going with barge breaking. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no-fluff actionable marketing podcast for people sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you are going to learn to find your voice in a male-dominated slash traditional industry. My guest today is the diva of the demolition business. She has an amazing story. After Hurricane Katrina, she had no home, no running water. Basically, no help. She had lost her job after working 10 years in the event industry. She even slept on six different coaches. She counted. <laughs> but on the back of that, she managed to build a multi-million dollar business with $250 in her pocket and no experience whatsoever in the demolition industry. So I couldn't help but talk to my guest today and really get the story firsthand. And I know there's a lot of marketing lessons to be learned there. So Simone Bruni. Welcome aboard. Hi, thank you. So glad to be here. <laughs> I love marketing. <laughs> I do. So I'm so glad to talk about it. Why do you love it? You know, it tells a story. It tells everybody's story. It's just the platform that you use. And that's really what marketing is. It's a storytelling with a medium of your choice. So that sounds very fluffy. So let's go one <laughs> level deeper because I know what you mean, but I want to get deeper. What do you mean it's the story? Why does it connect with you? Marketing for me was, as it pertained to Demo Diva, it was the story of resilience. I could not have written this out using the medium platform of an excavator, but in marketing in general, broad stroke of what I think marketing is, I think it's everyone's expression, whether it's Coca-Cola, whether it's Patagonia, it the story of your passion. So that's what it means, what marketing means to me and why I enjoy doing it for other people, helping other people brainstorm. But in my next life, when I come back, I will be solely a marketing executive and not running excavators, dump trucks and dumpsters. <laughs> so do you believe in reincarnation as well? This is one and done. <laughs> um, what My personal viewpoint on this, because I, as I told you before, I've, I've read your story if, to prepare for this interview. And I believe that I would go as far as to say that marketing or branding, whatever you want to call it, saved your life almost. I'll tell you why. Because I believe that you had nothing but a brand that you slowly built, right? You had nothing but your own, should I call it personal brand to go on, right? Like you had nothing right. but just you building relationship one-on-one with those neighbors after the wake of, after Katrina and slowly but surely being seen as a source of trust. And without the brand, without that marketing know-how, whether it's something you learned or something that you had just part of you, yeah, you, I don't think you would be here. No. I mean, not in this career. I'm not saying you'd be dead, but you know. Yeah, that is correct. To jump right into my story, as you said a little bit, Hurricane Katrina came upon us quickly. There was really no preparation when it hit. It will make 18 years ago, which is remarkable. The painting behind me, it hangs in my office. And so the water level came up to the tree, the top of the tree branch. So my office is three feet off of the ground. 
and our ceilings in here are eight feet. So we had eight to 11 feet in various sections of the neighborhood as it dipped and flowed for miles and miles. So you're talking about a city that was underwater for a five-mile radius. So reinventing yourself was going to have to be very difficult because it wasn't like, let me go down to the local Ace Hardware store and start a construction company. I was in the hospitality industry. That was a convention industry, which was run on music, food, decoration, hotel rooms, gone, overnight, gone. Tourism, gone for two years. What filled our hotel rooms were FEMA, National Guard, police from all over, firemen from all over, volunteers that tried to come and find rooms. So even finding rooms was difficult. So I found myself flooded, laid off. And for months, now let me just say this, Katrina and this situation was not a hurricane experience. This was the failure of our levee system built by the Army Corps of Engineers. So this was like really a federal disaster, if you will will say so. This isn't like in Har- in Florida where they see the cone coming and then they can rebuild. So we didn't know how long, we, everybody was scared. They didn't know how to rebuild. For about three to five months, I was like, what am I going to do? What Everybody was paralyzed. Finally, I just jumped in. I had two Brazilian brothers that were helping me gut my house and they did not speak English. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I was rocking, like holding my head. Oh my God, what am I going to do? And they said to me words that changed me. They said, you are an American. You have every right to own your own business. It took these two boys to push me. And I said, what possible skills do I have? I couldn't even recognize my own skills. And they said, do what you're doing for yourself. Do it for other women. And so back to what you were saying. I did not sell demolition. I did not know the terminology. I sold trust. Trust me, I'm a woman, I'm gonna help you. I was targeting women, but what happened was an entire city needed my help. And the brand, once I started Demo Diva and put little yard signs out, men, women, everybody needed help. And I sold the brand, not then trust. How long after the hurricane? Did that happen? Good question. That happened about six to seven months and demolition was going on full throttle. I want to define demolition because like you a few years ago, I have no fucking clue. I mean, I understand roughly, but I'm sure there's like some stuff I don't understand and folks listening or watching (laughs) might not understand as well. But before that, just so that we can paint the context here, as you said, folks listening only might not see, obviously will not see uh, what's behind you. But you can imagine like a massive painting, like a pink tree, and it's quite, it's quite high. What was the, your state of mind during those first six months? I know you don't necessarily want to relieve that kind of, yeah. uh, but like, how were you? Were you just completely, you didn't know where to go? You were just, what was it like? I was in a state of mind where I think a lot of Americans are now. And that is because I had to pivot and I had to pivot quickly and I didn't have resources, and I didn't know what my skills were. I didn't have a bank account. I didn't have a line of credit. I didn't have a funder. I was single, and I had to figure this out quickly. And so I had a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. I didn't have a life partner, a husband, a mate, 
So I didn't have someone even to draw and sit at night and say, what should we do? And those things, the thing that I thought was my weakness actually became my strength. And I hope that inspires somebody. Write down what you think is your weakness. I didn't have a family. Because I didn't have a family, because I didn't have another partner, I was able to think by myself and get quiet. And then I became a voice for my community because the people who had spouses and children had to go put their kids in schools in Texas, Florida, and other places. And so I became their feet on the ground. I became their voice in the community to say, hey, no, you've not been vandalized. Please come home as soon as you can. I'll keep an eye on your property and I'll get the Baptist to gut your house. So you were basically watching over people's houses, making sure like those who were gone to another state or anything like that, just making sure the house was still there. What else were you doing then? That was about it. I, I think that one time I tried to cook some jambalaya and go sell it to, I, I did actually. It I cooked some, did it. And it didn't work. It was too expensive. I was, yeah, I didn't do cost analysis. That didn't work. I mean, I tried different hands, baked cookies, tried it. It was silly. It was not going to work. I know in hindsight, it sounds silly, but again, I think it shows the story of resilience where you've tried, you've tried, you've tried, right? Yeah. Failure, I realized the pain of failure is something you need to feel and plow through. I felt failure and rejection when I bought a box of pink business cards and I went out and put them out on the people's cars and windshields. And I saw all these friends of mine married with their kids. It was the first night that they had ball. The lights came on in our neighborhood. They had a ballpark game. Everybody in the community came out. And I said, oh my gosh, this is the first opportunity of three to 500 cars. I'm going to go walk around and put my business cards out. And it was humbling. I had been a young event planner, party girls, selling the city, selling nice hotels and restaurants. And now I was in tennis shoes, putting out business cards, trying to make sure that I was going to have some sort of income. And so I think that the fear of failure is probably your best friend. If you embrace it and say, okay, this didn't work, let's go to the next one. So that, that helped. Yeah. I tell people, it's normal that you're scared. People expect to do things without being scared, they think it's not normal to feel scared, to feel anxious about what they're going to about to do. No, I just tell them, do it, but do it scared. That's it. And then yeah. you move on, right? Yeah. So let's just define briefly what we mean by demolition business so that we can all start a conversation where we, we know what we're talking about. Okay. So demolition, there's many forms of demolition. There is selective demolition, which we call gutting. And that's really where it started. So I was started gutting houses. I took my crew, I, the two Brazilian brothers, and we hit the town. I said, let's put together about four or five guys. And I started getting contracts to gut houses. The change really came is when I realized these guys that were not from New Orleans, they were coming in with their excavators, some people call them backhoes, and they were literally clawing and tearing down houses at ridiculous amount of money. And I saw that my neighbors, my community was being price gouged. And there was a pride that this was my tragedy. These are my people. This is my city. And this sense of overprotectiveness and outrage, a righteous outrage was like, I need to figure this out. 
I would go, I got the names of these different contractors who had their excavators and trucks. And I would say, hey, I have a contact. How much for the demolition of this house? And they said, okay, $5,000. So I went back to the customer and I said, $7,500, 8000 In that $3,000 profit, I carried all the liability and the insurance and I did all the paperwork. And that's how I did the work in demolition, gutting or structural demolition for three years before I owned anything of my own. This is why I was implying earlier that marketing, branding, whatever you want to call it, is the asset, the only asset you had for years, which I found phenomenal. So before we go deeper into that story and maybe for people to understand how to do this, I'm not saying how to do exactly what you did, obviously, but how to use that for inspiration. Do you have any marketing like knowledge in those 10 years of event planning? Did you do a lot of promotion ads? Did you read about it? Did you train on it? When I realized what I had to stop and make a choice, as a corporate event planner, I was offered to be transferred to our partners. I was literally offered anywhere in the world that I wanted to go, a partner would pick me up and put me into their office. I sat back and I looked and I said, I'm not leaving my city. I literally chose, I'm rolling up my sleeves and I'm going to start gutting. And I started gutting with, I helped the Brazilians. And I saw all these young volunteers. For example, there was a story of, one of the, my stories is a Jewish man. He was in the, a van, a, and it said New York City Synagogue. And he saw me working and he saw my hat. He said, do you live here? And I said, yes. And he started crying. And he said, I took one week off of work to come and help you all because Louisiana sent us a fire truck after 9-11. Now, just to put this in perspective, four years after 9-11, and he said, you all sent us a fire truck and I knew that I had to give back to your community. So this is the atmosphere that was happening at the time. And so I said, okay, I saw the passion of America here in my community. And I said, I'm staying, I'm gonna be part of this. I did not know what any of the equipment was called, but I knew marketing and I knew branding from the hospitality industry, just to paint the picture, we would have a big corporate event. So a citywide, American Academy of Cardiology was coming to town, let's say. Well, one medicine company was trying to outdo the other medical company to get doctors to their party. So I knew branding and I knew how to position my party to be better than their party. So that was just the one skill that I had. Yeah, but a big one. It was a big one. So if you can think about that time before Katrina, like just before that, what is the one specific marketing, branding, positioning, whatever you want, lesson you had learned in those 10 years? It's not about the size. It's about the look. And I can tell you, I had small clients but if you just dressed the part, you could lure people. It was all in the way you presented yourself. Present yourself, what do you mean specifically? It was in the elegance of the event. It was, you can be a very small company. My office here is only a thousand square feet. For the last 18 years, it's very small. But to the world, we look big. I can tell you what I took away from the hospitality industry is that I could have a party at a very small restaurant and the competition could have bought out the biggest convention hall. But some doctors just want boutique. 
you know, the smaller and intimate. And I knew that was something that I brought an emotion to a very crusty, dusty man's world. And so I brought a human element of brand and branding to the table. And that was really the one skill set. I brought my femininity to masculinity. And you believe that perception is reality, right? Which is what you said. Like to summarize, perception is reality, which I think is spot on. That's exactly how it works. It was all perception. It was all perception. So you had $250 in your name. You had been starting to help neighbors and friends and whatever. And you saw that those people were being ripped off by those companies coming in and like, using the disaster for their own profit. And you started to subcontract things. So you didn't own any equipment, nothing like that. The only thing you had was that brand. Okay. Now, I love there's a particular story, a particular anecdote of yours that I absolutely love because I think it's a very good summary of what you just said. So tell me about those yard signs that you bought and where you put them. Yeah, I knew you were going there. So with $250, like I said, it was about six months, everybody just trying to figure out life. And then the Brazilians gave me that nudge. And I said, that's it. With $250, I bought my $30 box of business cards. I bought a pair of magnets that I put on my car to make me look like an official contractor with no license. And it just said, pink demo diva. And the rest of the money. Now, this story is that I am now six, eight months after Hurricane Katrina. And there is demolition going on all over the city. I am late to the game. This would be like someone trying to start a Coca-Cola and you're looking at the giant and saying, I'm going to be a Coca-Cola one day. It was crazy. So I put yard signs out on demolished properties, 100 lots that I did not do. I didn't own equipment. I didn't even own a truck. It was at me and my flip-flops. I went and put 100 yard signs out on nicely sanded demolished lots over a week. Now, to translate that, at the time of Katrina, the average demolition was $15,000. That was paid by the insurance company. Okay? So, if I put 100 signs out on properties that would have had a value of $15,000, that looks like $1.5 million worth of work if I were to put a financial. And I didn't own equipment. In one week, my phone blew up. Demo Diva, we see you everywhere. Can you help us with our demolition? Can we get on your list? And at that point, I was in business. I was out the gate. I said, we're busy. I'd love to help you. Give me your address. We'll come out and see you. There was no we at the time. It was just me running around. The we were the guys and the excavators that would come right behind me. But I then became one of the busiest demolition companies in the city within a period of a year. And within a period of three years, my competition was gone. The largest demolition company was gone. That had come up after Katrina, the, the guy that started right before me. Yeah. How did you come up with that idea of the yacht signs? I think that it was, I saw an opportunity where no one left their signature. And when I see a really good website or a newsletter, I scroll to the bottom to see who powers that website. 
all the time. It's your signature. It's how you are leaving your mark. And I knew that in the hospitality industry, the best way, the branded events, when we were receiving the doctors, who's got the the green shirts on? Who was the company that was loading the buses? We had our big logo. I saw a nice sand lot as a palette that had no signature and uh, a painting, I should say. And so the, I just saw the opportunity and the men didn't care. They were just on to the next job. Was that something you had learned from your experience in the event industry, like living in the signature thing? Yeah. You're only as good as your last event, right? We all know that you're only as good as your weakest employee. You're only as good as your, when you go into a department store or a strip mall and you got the light, there's one or two lights burned out in their name. You think somebody's not paying the bill or somebody can't afford to repair their sign. So image is everything. I'll tell you, one of the best stories is we really processed thousands of insurance claims for State Farm, Allstate, all the insurance agents. And particularly for this one fund that was at the time called ICC, they were paying the demolition. So the head of the State Farm ICC was in town and done a lot of work for his staff. And he said, Simone, it's a Saturday. I know you're probably not at the office, but I'd love to come over and see your operation. I said, okay, well, all my girls are gone for the weekend. But I said, I'll meet you in my office. And when he walked into my office, he looked and he said, this is it? And I said, this is it. He said, Simone, we perceive you as a lion. And when you turn around, your ass is this big. <laughs> You're a cat, little cat. <laughs> a little cat. And I said, that's the biggest compliment. Let's look at that branding of yours that you came up with. And I almost, I think you came up with it very naturally, should I say, but for folks listening to the podcast who haven't checked out what you've done yet, let's try maybe describe at the time what you went with. For the first two to three years, my branding was very on a shoestring budget. I didn't even perceive, I don't even know if I would have named my company Demo Diva because there's nothing diva about me. It's sort of kitschy. And I just thought, okay, I just need a flash in the pan business until I can get back to my real career. And the more that I realized what the demolition industry is and the sounds of it, the smells of the earth, I love the demolition industry. I love the story and the emotion behind the the behind every building. The demolition industry is not just, it's selling a commodity. We're selling steel, we're selling antique bricks, we're selling crushed concrete. So behind it is, is a strategy. For three years, I just operated. I told my, if I got a job in demolition, I made the men wear my pink t-shirts. I said, if you're on my job, you have to take off your t-shirt and put on my t-shirt. And I would stick my little sign in front of the job. But it was very shoestring. It was, and this was my name in my city. And I could see that I was losing quality control. And so my identity started to shift. The more, I mean, one day I went through a drive through and a McDonald's and I had the pink, my magnet on the car. And a young girl in McDonald's says, are you the demo diva? And it was the first time that I was like greeted as like a persona. And I said, Yes, meekly. I was embarrassed. And she said, you go, girl. And I couldn't believe that others. And so my eyes started to shift. I was in my early 30s and I had to shift myself. And I myself grew with the company. And then I said, you know what? I can do this. 
And that is when I decided I'm going to go get skin in the game. And I love this industry. I love the sounds of it. And I'm never going back to the hospitality industry. And so I went to purchase my first excavator. Great. Before we go into that, let's backtrack a bit. In hindsight, it sounds obvious, right? People listening will be like, duh, male-dominated industry. She's a woman, so therefore pink, therefore Demodiva, therefore whatever. It always sounds easy in hindsight. But at the time, do you remember when you had this first idea of the name, the color you want to use? Did you doubt it? Did you feel like it was obvious? How did you feel about it? I just thought, again, it would be a business for a year that would just tie me over. I almost felt like it was something like a garage sale. Like, just trust me a little bit. I'll hustle a few dollars from this person and that person. I did not see, I did not catch the vision until I really got a year into this. And I realized, no, this is a very big industry. And my vision for Demo Diva is so big. I can't even If I were to dream big, and I'm going to share with you, is that I believe that Demo Diva can be a pink Calvary of hope globally. That's where I want this to go. I want to be synonymous with, you've got American Red Cross coming and you've got Demo Diva pink heavy equipment coming. And that is what the demolition industry is. It's synonymous with hope and progress. So that's where I said, that's where I'm going. So let's go back to that moment of you picking that brand do you think you've picked such a distinctive brand, whether it's the name, the color, and maybe something else that I'm forgetting, because you, in your head, it was temporary. So you took, you went all the way. You took all the risk. Now I'm just thinking with you out loud. So maybe this is dangerous. That's what I do all the time. Yeah, this is maybe, now you're tugging on heart heartstrings. Because I think if I had to say, I don't even know if I would have even, if I thought that I was going to have a legitimate global business. Would I have just picked pink? Would have I have just hidden behind, oh no, women, you know, I just want to work with women or oh, women will trust me. Or would I have like really bellied up to the table and said, no, I'm going neon orange and green and blue and this bitch is here, you know? <laughs> and I don't know if I had that confidence. I didn't. I can tell you I didn't. And so I did hide behind the color to say, this is a woman-owned business, and I'm here to help women. And it was the affirmation of my community to say, the men saying, we need you too. And the men saying, I don't know what that thing is called, and I'm embarrassed, so I'm going to go with you. And I've had men tell me that. So men have come to me because they don't know that they're doctors, and they don't know the name of an excavator and a low boy and a all the equipment that goes. What's a low boy? The low boy is the trailer that hauls the excavator. And do you own any of those wrecking ball thing like in Miley Cyrus song? No, wrecking balls are dinosaurs and it's sort of dangerous to use at this point. It's uncontrolled demolition and there's now attachments and progress that So disappointed yeah, you don't own a fucking wrecking ball. <laughs> you need to parody the song. I know it's a bit old now, Miley Cyrus, but you need to do it. It's perfect. I need, a, I need a video of me straddling a wrecking ball, yeah. swinging. Yeah, that, yeah. that sounds sexy. <laughs> Maybe you, know, not. you can make it whatever, but I was just thinking with the pink and all, that could be great. Anyway, you basically took all the risk because you knew it was just temporary in your head and you just you went all the way. And do you remember when you started to put those yard signs and all of that, like the initial reaction? Did anyone come to you and say, what the fuck is this? The very, very first day that I came in, I remember putting the magnets on my car and 
I was so proud. I was driving in and I felt almost like embarrassed, like vulnerable. And I was like, okay, this is the new me. I just, here I am telling the world. And I was at a red light and a pickup truck of guys pulled up next to me and started yelling out the window and flipping me off and just mocking me. And I was so caught by surprise that was going to be the reaction. And another time I was at a bar and it was after Katrina and it was very few people in the city, just contractors. So there was a guy sitting on a bar stool and he was leaning back on the bar stool and he said, what's your business? And I thought, oh gosh, here we go. And I, I said, Demo Diva, it's a demolition business. And he goes, that's effing stupid. He goes, a construction company is like an acronym, like ABC. And I remember thinking, I'm going to kick this bar stool from under you and you're going to fall. <laughs> that was the reaction initially. I mean, now listen, this men weren't even wearing pink. Okay, like now it's men will wear a pink polo shirt, but and pink ties. But 18 years ago, it was just coming in. So it was still a little bit of a taboo for a woman to be it, like out there. It's not so much anymore, but that was the initial reaction. I love this. And the reason why I'm asking you all of those specific questions is because people listening and watching this whenever they want to do something that is a bit risky or they feel it's risky, that's exactly how they feel. But they don't do it, right? So they end up not doing, not going through the way you've done it. And yes, you will have people fucking talking shit about it, but that's a good sign, right? That's what you want. You want a small percentage of people who will hate it because that's a sign that some will also love it. If this person in the bar had said, okay, good for you, and that's it, that means it's like yet another demolition business. Therefore, he will forget about it. You know, there's another story that comes to mind about a real prominent CEO of one of the largest demolition companies here. And I remember exactly where I was standing. I remember the moment I went up to him and I said, I own Demo Diva and I would love crumbs from your table. I said, I'll do anything. I'll do some work with my Bobcat, Skid Steer. I said, I'll send crews to clean up your job site after y'all do any. I said, I would just love to work with you if you would sub something out to me. And he literally slapped me on my shoulder like, good luck kid with a name like that. And I, I just stood there and I said to myself, I said, I may be a tadpole, but I will sprout legs. And I don't know why those words came to me. And let me tell you, that man served his, the company that he worked for, he did not own. He served that company for 25 years. And then he was very unceremoniously escorted to the door and, you know, dismissed. And I, on the other hand, am still in business. Now, I don't say that, and I tell that story with a wee bit of humility because life can hand us all the unexpected and I can be out of business too. But the difference is that at least I own my destiny. And for him to have reacted to me like that, I thought was, it was just arrogant 
So I've come across that. And it's not, it's shifting. And as a woman in this world, people have asked me, what is it like to be in those circles? A woman in a man's world. First of all, it's not a man's world. I have never, ever looked at myself as like me versus them at all. I'm out here just as they are to learn and to serve. And I think that attitude has kept me my head above water. Yeah, it's very inspiring. So what would you say to, I would say, non-white males? And I know I'm getting stick. Like every time I said that, people, some people don't like it, but fuck it. What would you say to non-white males or folks who are like not in the majority, in the minority group, like women and others who are longing to do something like you're doing, not demolition business, the bigger picture, like doing something they own, doing something that stands out, doing something that they believe because they want to help and all of that. What is the one tip that you give them to, to become like you in that way? I would say, come on. Because everywhere, the diversity is strength. And wherever there is a majority, there is a weakness. And so you look for an industry or a place that is not diverse, and you're going to find a weak link. Because if you don't have diverse thought, you don't have diverse culture, you're not reaching society. I will tell you, my crew are all Black men. I love them. They love me because we come from so many different backgrounds. When we have our staff meet and, then, and we have a lot of Hispanics. So when we come together, everybody's bringing their tood to the table in a good way. And that's what's made us strong. We here at Demo Diva, we reach the community because everybody here has lived in some corner of the city. Everyone here has some sort of background, economic and social, that helps us. And we that voice combined has really built our company. It's a fantastic answer. And I don't say that just to please you. It is a fantastic answer. So picking industries or categories that are very vanilla, like everyone looks the same or whatever, and finding an opportunity there and using diversity as your strength, not as weakness, but like really using it as your strength. So maybe if we go outside completely of the demo business and if we look at your marketing know-how, can you think of a another example, an industry, a category, whatever that you've noticed that you've observed that is ripe for this type of? Truck drivers. Women truck drivers, okay? I mean, that's not necessarily construction. You can work for Walmart. When you sit in air condition, women, for example, are so delicate in their fingers. Anything where women at the controls with their finger, I'm speaking to women. If you are Asian, the Asian community is not in, that I see in the construction industry. I would say bring your, what you think is your weakness to the table and it will really become your strength. I go back to the words of an Indian man, an Indian from India, and he came to me with a very big job. And his job was, he had bought 10 barges, old barges that float down the Mississippi River carrying cargo, but these barges were no longer 
really viable and they call it barge breaking where you cut up a barge, you pull it ashore and you cut it up and you sell the steel. And so he got my number and he said, I'd love to give you the contract. And so I searched for places up and down the Mississippi where there was a landing. We could pull crane these, these barges up onto the shore. And the largest barge breaking company had just moved into the area. And the only dry dock that was available was right next door to the largest barge breaking company. So I went to him and I said, I don't think I can do this. Why are you buying these barges? The largest barge breaker is right here. He's going to be able, all the steel buyers will buy from him and they're going to buy your steel so cheap. And he said words to me that I hope one, it will speak to one of your less, listeners. He said, Simone, does the tree say to the forest, today I shall not grow, there is no room for me? He said, the light is for everyone. It's just a matter if you want to reach for it. And that, to me, were words of gold. And unfortunately, I didn't do the job. I didn't pursue it hungrily to say, let me go make a way. And he moved on. He did that job with somebody else. But his words resonate with me because we can all say, oh, no, it's too much competition. There's no room for me today. But we don't know what storms will come. If you get your foot in the door, like I did with Demo Diva, I got my foot in the door and I kept going. But I wish I'd maybe even kept going with barge breaking. I'm going to uh, give you a compliment. I forgot to say that earlier. And I mean that in the nicest sense. You're a true American in the way you speak. And you really have this Americanism about you, like those stories <laughs> and the inspiration <laughs> and this getting shit done or whatever. I recognize it because I'm French, living in Ireland. The European kind of way is there is a differently difference, but it's really inspiring to hear you and that you clearly love what you do. And I think, I don't know if you're already doing this, but you should absolutely become a inspirational speaker and stuff like that. You'll make Aww. a killing as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank no, you'll you. make a killing. People would love that story and I hope you'll do that. Anyway, closing the loop about your story. So you said after a few years, you started to buy those equipments and just paint them pink and stuff like that. Where are you now? What's the state of the business? It's doing great. I own four pieces of Volvo heavy equipment. I am brand loyal to Volvo. They have been so good to me. And, and I'll tell you this story. It really means a lot to me, this relationship, because I went to the local dealership and I could have gone with Caterpillar, John Deere, Komatsu at the time. But the reputation at the time of Katrina three years out, when I said, okay, that's it, it's time to get in the game, I was not going to get my hands dirty. I was like, I don't know how, to, I was scared of being a mechanic. I was scared of repairing this. That was the thing that feared me, not getting my hands dirty. I love getting my hands dirty. I was more like, oh God, it's such a huge piece of equipment. And so the reputation at the time was that the Volvo dealership locally called Scott Equipment had the best repair shop. So I went there. And also, I, the other thing was that Volvo had the best fuel consumption, that they were good on that. So I went to the Volvo dealership, and I was sucking on my iced coffee. I was so nervous. And I got there, and so the lady at the front was like, Demo Diva's in the house. Demo Diva's here. And so the salesman who'd been trying to get me to buy the equipment for three years said, I just left the shop. Let's keep her there. And so he comes back. He goes, I can't believe you're here. I said, I'm finally ready to do the deal. So we sit down, we do the paperwork. And at the very end, I said, 
I'd like to have it painted pink. Can you give me a quote on that? So he goes to the back and he comes back and he says, we're not going to finance that. You have to pay that up front. And I said, oh, I said, really? He goes, and that's not how heavy equipment goes. He goes, you're going to trade this in three years. That's how we do it. And I said, this is a purchase, not a lease. And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, I want it painted pink. And so he said, okay. So he says, okay, comes back, gives me a price. And, he, and, he, and so I have to write out a separate check for the painting of the excavator. I leave the shop. They make a phone call to Volvo headquarters and say, we got a girl in New Orleans post-Katrina who's painting her excavator pink. Well, Volvo knows branding. <laughs> Volvo says, send a reporter, send the head of demolition. And he comes down and his name was Walter, is Walter. And of course, like a true event planner, I have a ribbon cutting and a party for my excavator that I named Smashing Star because she looks smashing. And Volvo does a story on it, puts it in their national magazine. It gets picked up internationally. The World Demolition Summit says, you know what? Get her to be a speaker at our next conference. And so then I become a speaker at the conference and I'm completely embarrassed. These are world class engineers who are dismantling power plants. And there's this like little flea demo diva talking about marketing and branding. I'm going to tell you some other good news is that I will now be the speaker again 10 years later at the World Demolition Summit this year in Toronto. So the brand, <laughs> the brand and the brand loyalty, but I'll say this about what Volvo has done for me. They saw an opportunity to help a woman. And that is also why I'm brand loyal. They introduced me to a national stage and they said, we want to help you grow in your career and to meet other professionals. And so I've been part of the National Demolition Association because of them. And that is where I am. I then morphed. I said, so about two years into being in the demolition business and the flooded properties, the houses that I was demolishing started to diminish. And I knew again, I had to pivot. And this is another branding opportunity. I said, okay, I don't fish. I don't hunt. I don't play poker. And so it was very hard to get in front of men, men who want to do business with people they know. And so I got into the dumpster business. I think it's super inspiring for people to hear all of this, your enthusiasm and all of that. But if I had to summarize, and again, I have the benefit of hindsight, the only thing you did differently was a name that wasn't Popular. the usual name, yeah. a color that was never really used. So you use this kind of uh -huh. the sweat space and <laughs> the fact that you're a woman in a male dominated world. But again, it does look quite simple when you summarize it this way. Obviously, it needs courage and resilience that you have, but still, that's all you need sometimes in those places that need to be disrupted or whatever you want to call it. So. It's super inspiring, and I want to thank you for telling that story with that energy of yours and all of that. I, I know people would really love hearing from you. Last question that I ask all my guests before I let you go. What do you think people listening, marketing professionals or else need to learn today that will help them in the next 10, 20, 50 years? I think the future of marketing is what marketing is doing for the individual is opening up 
a world. So I just came from the licensing expo in Las Vegas. And what is happening is as we see the Bed Bath & Beyonds, the Sears, the Macy's, all of that is getting reduced down to the marketing individual. So if I want to have a brand, if I want to sell cycling shirts, if I want to sell lipstick, branding and marketing on Instagram, on Amazon, build your brand. It is so unique to you. And if you are woke, go be woke. If you are conservative, sell to the conservatives. But you marketing is that it's your story, it's your platform on whatever medium. But you now have that silo to tap into massive amounts of money on how you market yourself. Marketing is the future. We see it on Instagram. It is giving everybody access to billions that was once locked up by conglomerates. So marketing to me is the absolute future. And it's obviously online, social, and getting to funneling what you are authentically. And that's what I'm saying. Be authentic. And it's perfect way to end this because (laughs) perfect summary of of what you've done so well. Folks in the marketing industry, we use the lingo like personal brand and all of that. That's spot on. So, yeah, Simon, thank you so much for your time and all of the stories. I've enjoyed this. I can see. (laughs) Where can people learn more from you, connect with you? Demodiva.com and on Instagram. We would love for you to follow us and, and also to hear from you. Right now, I am working on a women's line of working girl apparel under the name Demo Diva because of what we represent. What the brand is, is resilience. And so now it's how do I monetize the brand? And that's really where I'm taking it now. So I'm excited to be on the lookout for that. You should 100% do podcast tours, speaking tours, and stuff like that. I think <laughs> to go back to your advice, I'm going to give it back to you. You need to like, Thank I you. would, if I were you, I would triple down on this. Really like making it the number thing, the one thing you do every day, which is like doing this kind of stuff. So podcast tools, going to conference events, but not (laughs) in the industry, not in demolition only. Yeah. Like people would lap it up. They would absolutely love that. So I know you're doing some, but I think this is the strategy for you. It's just so easy for you to do it as well. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content is coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. 
And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.